Will you join me? We're going to do uh, somewhat of a topical study. We're going to look at um, how to continue in Christ, how to do many of the things I just talked about, how, how to live this new life. Um, it doesn't matter whether you've been living this life as a follower of Jesus Christ for five days, five minutes, or 55 years. As I've said, there's, there's always a deep desire to have a deeper relationship with Jesus. And so, we're going to look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. That's Romans 12 is we're starting in the middle of a book or towards the end, and we're starting in chapter 12. You know, realize that chapter 1, verse 1, clear through chapter 11, verse 36, all these things that have been stacked and built and laid one upon another, he now brings it to kind of an application, a, a, a put it into practice mindset, so to speak. So we read in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, I, I trust many of you know it, I strongly encourage you to memorize these two verses, meditate upon them, chew upon them, think upon them, be open to what God would show you about them. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's look back there on the first portion. He, I strongly exhort you, uh, brethren. He's talking about, I, mean, I really, really want you to get a handle on this. I really want you to be aware of this. Notice he says, brethren, you know, those who have received the gift of life through Jesus Christ, they are born again. They are followers. They're not just following the Christian principles. They're not just showing up in attendance at gatherings. They have a personal relationship, a, a, a surrender to the living God through the, the life that comes through Jesus Christ. Brethren, by the mercies of God, mercies, uh, mercy is, is not getting what you deserve, right? Functionally, you, you ask for mercy. I remember asking for mercy. I don't know if I said it exactly that way. But when my older brother caught me and pinned me down, and he had both my arms on the ground and his knees on those arms. And he proceeded to punch me. There's really, you don't, your neck doesn't, you don't have a lot of movement. You, you can't go up and down because that doesn't work. You can only go left and right. And he had me in such a position and, and you know, he starts to do this and, and I'm asking for mercy. You know, the only reason I'm asking for mercy is because I was guilty. I did something. I got caught. I was usually pretty good. It takes a pretty bad set of legs to stand there and let your face get beat in. But sometimes I get caught. And that time he caught me. And I remember requesting mercy because I, I just didn't want to be punished. Sidebar, grace is getting something you don't deserve. Unmerited favor, undeserved kindness, that's grace. And God freely gives us grace. But he also gives mercy. He says, by the mercies of God... Because you're born again, present your bodies a living sacrifice. He's literally saying, you know, you choose to give back to God the very life he gave to you. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, sometimes I think we can recognize 
It may be easier to die for Christ than live for Christ in some scenarios, some situations. To just, you know, stand hard, you know, whatever. You're martyred and then you're done. It's much, it's, well, I can't say it's much more difficult because I haven't died for Christ in that sense yet. So can't compare, but you get it. To recognize a living sacrifice is one that's proof by him. A sacrifice, that he, giving your life you know, for him. You, you may have many things, and I believe they rightfully should be surrendered to the Lord, that he would show you how to handle the assets and the, the finances and the, all you have as stewards. But the one valuable thing that you own, that you have, is your life. And giving that one thing to Christ, a living sacrifice, holy, which means set apart, sanctified. It, it's holy, I mean, I'm giving it for your purposes, Holy, acceptable to God. You know, you can't give your life to God if you haven't been born again by God because it's an unacceptable offering. And so being born again, you say, okay, Lord, you've given me this new life. And it's actually, to a degree, I think we'd have to agree, it's an attitude of gratitude. If you know this new life, because not everybody does, many speak of it because they know the doctrine, they, they know the jargon, they know they've been to church attendance and they've been to Christian circles and they hang with Christian people. So they speak of it, but they don't have it. They have not yet been born again. A lot of people that attend church, that listen online, various places, they have not yet come into a born again relationship. And I can say that because Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus was trying to figure out how this all fit. He had a religious background. He had things in his life. But he was realizing there's something different about this walk with Jesus. Later, Jesus would say to those who would follow him, who would come to him in that day, referencing, I believe, even a day of judgment, and saying, Lord, Lord, look what we've done in your name. We've cast out demons, and we've done these things, and I helped this old lady across the street, and I'm a pretty good, nice person. I went to church a lot, and I hung around nice people. Do you remember what Jesus says to those who come to him without a relationship, but they believe they're accepted by him because they think they got something to bring? You remember what he said? Depart from me, you workers. Workers. You're, you're, you're stirring up and producing iniquity. You're literally knowing what's right and choosing to do wrong. You're a worker of iniquity. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I don't even know you. Uh, um, Christian artist some years ago, I think it was Steve Camp, had a song that he, he spoke of, the most terrifying words to man. When God himself would say to someone who thought they had done enough because they were born right, they hung around the right people, I'm, I'm good. He said, I don't even know you. You worker of iniquity. I think that should stir your soul in a healthy way. I think it should remind us that we're born again if we are born again. If we are not born again, we need to work that out. We need to get down to business on getting that done because we need to recognize, hey, if I'm not born again, if I'm just doing these things and I have no relationship with him, I, I can't even offer my life as a, an acceptable living sacrifice because in reality, offering your life in surrender to him when you're born again, giving your life to him, as it says in, your, in the latter part of verse 1 there in Romans chapter 12, it's a reasonable act of worship. 
What, what are some translations? Just the last portion. Mine reads, which is your reasonable service. Just real quickly, somebody have like a, a CEV or maybe even a ESV or a newer translation that kind of just gives you a, a different view of it in the English language. Anybody? Okay, yes. So it's uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the very last portion. Yeah, it's just too much to ask. When you think of what he's done for you, is this too much to ask? It's like, really? Uh, what do you have? You have, uh, uh, you have the extra spiritual version, ESV, right? Reasonable service, okay. One of them, does anybody have NIV? Julie, does it say reasonable act of worship? What is it? Your, a spiritual, spiritual act of worship. So he's saying in the physical frame, this we, when we recognize what he's done and when we present our bodies to him as a living sacrifice, it's just a spiritual act of worship. Which it, worship is a recognition of, of God. It, it's, a, it's a directing affection, attention, a comprehension of, of mortality and immortality, a blend of all these things where we're directing our worship to him. It's not just the way you raise your hands or the way you sing songs. It's the way you live. That's much more worshipful than what can be done in a few minutes, uh, a few times a week or whatever. I, I worship is powerful. But I get on, I'm not going to, we'll look at that maybe some other time when we look into the, the power of worship by way of music. It's an amazing thing that human beings have the capacity to participate in. Nonetheless, he's saying, you know, it's your reasonable worship, your reasonable act of service and do not be conformed to this world. So it's like, present your bodies, but how do you do it? How do I present my body to him? Do I like, you know, put on makeup? Or do I not put on makeup? Do I gotta, do I gotta put on my church clothes? What does it mean? It's, it's not exterior fashion. It's literally, present your bodies, reasonable, it, it's, it's this, not being conformed to this world. It's the inside that's seen differently, or the outside seen differently when the inside is being transformed. Do not be conformed, shaped. It literally speaks of like pressure and various things upon you. And so don't be conformed to what? To this world. Don't be shaped by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be this caterpillar under pressure but actually be the new life, the new body, and you get the thing with transformation speaks of metamorphosis, is, is what is the, the, where the word comes from, or English word comes from this Greek word, or Latin, I guess, actually. So, you were this, but you're a new creation in Christ. You, you have the same body, it seems, but there's new expressions, much like that caterpillar that becomes a, a butterfly, and now moves through the same environment differently, not limited like it was previously. So we have this new body, but not only does it, the, the, the caterpillar doesn't fly around, right? It, it doesn't just like have this cool aeronautical capacity to, to wiggle through the air. It, there's a different expression. And so with this new expression, it's able to move around. So there, you see what it's being said. Don't be uh, conformed to this world, but be changed 
be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's a very important element. Renewing of your mind is so important, so much there. We don't have time to dig in, and I challenge you, I encourage you, I actually assign you homework. Sort out what all that means. The renewing of my mind, the way I think about people, is it in line with the way God thinks about people? If you have problems with people, you have a problem with God. And you think about the one person you have a big problem with. I don't care if it's a, uh, an ex. I don't care if it's a person that's really hard to get along with. I don't care. If, whatever person you have a problem with, you have a problem with God in that area. And, and, when, and when I say that, people send me email. <laughs> Stuff like that. Not, not in thumbs up either. I don't get a thumbs up email then. Well, why do I say that? Well, how can I be so definitive? Because you don't see people from God's perspective. You don't see that person from God's perspective. You see that person from a position of pain and personal experience and different things. And so it makes sense that it flavors, but you're not the same person. You're not the caterpillar crawling around getting stepped on. You're not the same. We've got to be transformed. We're changed from the inside out by the renewing of our mind. It's not the power of positive thinking. That is so silly. You can only stir your emotion. You can only lie to yourself. I'm never going to do it. Okay, I think I can. I think I can. And you get all mustered up and you kind of like, all right, you go team, go. Rah, rah, rah. I got this day. Until you get out of bed. And reality slaps you right alongside the face. And you didn't think about, you didn't know what was going to unfold. And so when we muster up this mindset of, of self-reliance and, and self-energy, it's silly. It's silly. And that's the nicest way I can say it. Instead, like, God, I got to change. I, want, I need your help to change. I, when I think about that person, my emotions stir. My anger rises. God, I don't, I don't know how to manage this. Help me renew the way I think. Help me from the inside out. So I'm seeing things from your perspective because I don't like them. And I, I'm not, I don't ever want to like them. So therefore, God, I know you love them. See the difference? Do you know that he loved Judas Iscariot? The very man who set out to betray him. The very man that he said it would have been better if he wasn't even born. And ultimately that's conveying that he continued to resist the invitation of God. He rejected the invitation of God. He rejected the provision of God to where he ended up living where there is no presence of God, so to speak. He chose hell. And it, it, it says that Jesus loved them to the uttermost. To the point where he specifically said to Judas, what you do, do quickly. He loved him, and even through all of that, it, it, you, okay, you may have a better handle on some of these than I do, but I can tell you right now, you, 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 can't, you can't get that entirely. Because I don't just think, I don't think we have the, even though we have love implanted, we don't have the capacity fully to grasp the magnitude and the depth of that kind of love. Agreed? To, to come to humanity knowing that they will reject you. Knowing ahead of time the hostility of the cross. Knowing ahead of time that the very ones that he set apart as a nation unique, a people group, very specific, known to the world, that their God intervened on their behalf. 
That's what the world said. That's what they said about the work when Nehemiah was there on the wall. They didn't say, man, Nehemiah is the best administrator I've ever seen. They said, we know your God did this because you stumbling fools couldn't do anything right. I'm paraphrasing. And, he, and they were right. And there's other places where it was obvious. It was obvious to the Egyptians, agreed? Do you think Pharaoh's looking over his flooded army, <laughs> literally, and going, you know, Moses sent some guy to turn the water valve back. He knew the God of the Israelites took care of them. God comes to this group of people set apart for his purposes who personally witnessed divine intervention. He came to his own and his own would not receive him. They crucified him. That is a love I, I will spend the rest of the time in this tent processing and trying to emulate or trying to understand and somehow in a functional, practical, day-to-day, street-level, tires-on-the-ground sense, I want to live that way. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Oftentimes we read this, and I don't know that we allow the Word of God to saturate our dry hearts past the superficial into the very depth to where we realize, God, I need more of you and less of me. The church in America... And I believe to a certain measure, the church in Mountain Home, known as Calvary Chapel Mountain Home, we can function too easily in our chosen practices without the power of God. We can just go through the motions. We can get by. We can pay the bills. We can do the basics. Do you think I'm wrong? No, you don't want to answer that, right? <laughs> but let's just face it. That's very, I hope you see It's very convicting to me. To think as a pastor, we can be just getting along and not wholly and totally dependent on the very personal, intimate power of the living God. And it's better to acknowledge it than to pretend like it's not there. I had an old uh, Chevy pickup when I was, one of, I don't know, second or third vehicle. So it's, it's kind of a beater. It's what I call a self-lubing chassis. It leaked so much oil, it just blew all the way across the back. So, you know, I figure, oh, you joined, everything's, you know, lubed up and everything on this. But a light come on on the gate and the dash. And I wasn't about to fix it because I'm already pouring oil into this thing and, I'm, you know, whatever. So I found a way to fix those lights. And you guys might want to keep this in mind. You know, you take a piece of black electrical tape, just cover it up. So you just cover it up, it, the problem's gone. You fixed it. You don't even have to worry about it anymore because obviously you can't even see it now. It's not bothering you at night. What's the problem with my theory? By covering up something, I fail to acknowledge a need. By failing to acknowledge a need, I'm inviting greater disaster. And sometimes our spiritual gauges are not too far off, correct? I have to say, wait a minute. Am I really, do I really depend on the power of God? Am I reliant? And so you can't go on a guilt trip because that's not of the Lord. God does not reveal things such as this to you so you'll go home feeling bummed out. He reveals these things and say, hey, I've got much greater in mind for you. I've got much more in store for you. Would you consider? Would you allow? Would you, would you renew your thinking and listen to me about this person, about that situation in your life, about that thing in the past? Will you let me renew you as you learn to see from my perspective? Renewing your mind... 
that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. It, prove there speaks of that you may, in a, in a reverent way, a very respectful way, you may put to the test the truths God's brought to you. You see what I had to say, reverent and respectful. It's not like putting it to the test to see if it's right. It's rather realizing it's right, now how do I practice it? To test and approve what? What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? You hear it in the world you live in. It's phrased like this. I don't, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't, I don't know why I'm here. You know what that is? That's somebody in a contemporary term saying, I want to know the will of God for my life. They may even be saying God don't exist because they're so confused they don't even know if he does. And so, can you agree? We all want to know the will of God for our lives. We want to know it in this season. We want to know it in a general sense. We want to know it in a relational sense. And so, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may put to the test and realize that you may take hold and know to be true what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So Romans chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 11, verse 36, and we start chapter 12 with verses 1 and 2, an applicational summary from all these truths that were laid out. So now, thinking about that, because it, it ties together with the season we're in, not just as a church, but I believe it, as individuals, we're wanting to know the Word. It's really a good portion of why we've gathered tonight. We want our children to know. We want to know. We want to know how to serve. If you don't serve, you won't grow. That's just a fact. It's not a theory. It's not something a pastor presents to get more people to volunteer. It's just the truth. Jesus said, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And you'll see it time and again, this, this servant leadership. And actually, there's an element of servant lordship. Our Lord chose to serve, and then and he showed us this is how it's different from the world you live in. Because he's teaching us how to invest into someone else. It's really crazy in my mind that when my life is kind of wound up a little bit or kind of confusing, but I stay on course investing into someone else's life and learning to serve just because that's what God would direct me to do, it actually stabilizes my life. You think it would bring it cause more chaos, wouldn't it? Because I'm not given the, the carnal or the natural way of thinking, the attention to the problem or the source of the confusion. So I'm not given to that, so therefore it should get worse. But instead, by faith, we decide, you know, I'm going to serve. I'm going to learn to do this the way you did it, God. I'm going to learn from you. And so we start investing, and we start serving, and, and we start realizing, man, this, this is a type of therapy. This is a type of a, a great physician prescription to just learn to serve, and then all of a sudden you're calm. I was able to share with our youth leaders. They met just uh, before our service and just kind of a team building, get acquainted type of approach. And I was able to share with them things that um, happened in my life serving in youth ministry. I started serving in youth ministry. I was able to uh, get plugged in just after I got saved, probably within a few months. And I started in, in uh, nursery, with nursery and toddlers. And not because I'm a guy who likes hanging out with babies. It's just... It was therapeutic. First of all, we had kids, and the only reason in my logical mind I was serving, it wasn't super spiritual. It wasn't because I was just given, when I was born again, this servant's heart. It was because we had kids, 
And we understood if you have kids and someone takes care of your kids, you put in your time taking care of kids. You just rotate. It just seems a very normal way of civilized society. Whether you live in a village in Zimbabwe or you live in Boise, either way. So I started serving in that way and loved it because I found I could just be there with the kids. Their, their theology is not as complex when they're under a year, you know, just a few months old. The really what you've got to do is what I call dodge the drool because I love playing with them and holding them, laying on the ground and just kind of wrestling with them. And, you know, they just, there's some projectile factors that you just got to know the battle you're dealing with. But man, what an amazing thing. Well, anyway, I went from there just a few months or so after that, maybe a year. I, I, there was an opportunity to get involved with fifth and sixth grade. So I did. And so I got plugged in with, I think we even had one of our kids were in the fifth and sixth. So I got plugged in with fifth and sixth grade serving there. And it was fascinating because I'm so young on the Lord. I, I'm that teacher that's learning just a, just a few hours sometimes ahead of the students. And in fifth and sixth grade, sometimes they already know that story of David and Goliath. Sometimes they already know the lesson you're bringing. And so God taught me early on, you can learn from a lot of people, even learn from the students. And so I was learning how to serve. And, and so at that time, one of the, there was a few of the fifth and sixth graders, uh, one of them, Mark Green, um, Dan Fife, um, Nathan Sari, uh, I think in the seventh grade, Chad Ellis came along, and, and then there was uh, Alex Campbell, and I can sort of rattle off a few. But in 19, that was in 1990-ish, 91, 2, 3, 4, somewhere around there. Um, just a couple years ago, Nate Sari came out. He's living, he was living in... Uh, Central California, come out to see his mom and drove out here to see me. 30 years after teaching them in that class, they came out. I got to go with that fifth and sixth grade group. It was just, I was so thankful what happened. I was able to move up with them every year and I went with them clear to high school. And, and really, I learned a lot of my theology from those kids. I learned a lot street level reality because they asked questions that were like, I'm a teacher. Uh, you ask a question as a teacher in our culture, you, I'm supposed to have an answer. And I didn't. And I had to learn. I don't know. But I will find out for you. And I will see you next week. And I come back and go, hmm, interesting. And so anyway, I say all that to encourage you because as we serve, there's something that God does. Okay, so the human experience is built around a human need of fellowship of interaction. It's not a, a, a need that we're all to be uniform, but we are to be united. And we're united in Christ. So we're different expressions and different variables and, and different backgrounds and, and different levels of maturity. We're different people that God brought together. And, and not very few of us would be around us, each other, if we didn't have the unity in Christ. I asked the church to do it this weekend when I was teaching in New Hampshire, I'll ask you to do it. A bunch of East Coast rebels up there, but maybe you guys will be honest and do what I ask. Just look at each other. Just look around the room. See, some of you are East Coast rebels. Some of you are, are, are okay, compliant. So just be honest right now. You just looked around. You wouldn't hang out with this bunch of misfits on your own. Did you hear me? You wouldn't hang out with this bunch of misfits on your own. 
the people you were around, you just wouldn't hang out with. It's not that you hate them or don't like them. You just don't have much in common. You get different. Joe, you're old. This guy over here is young. You know, this person over here, you got all these different factors, right? And so you live in Glens Ferry, and we live over here, and then you have this different background, all this different stuff. Let's just be honest. We probably wouldn't come together. There needs to be something that unites us. And what a beautiful thing to be united in Christ, to where you can come together from different backgrounds. Our, our town represents this because we have the military factor that brings people in from all over. And, and in Christ, you can feel like you've known each other for years. I went to New Hampshire. I taught at a church there that I literally, nothing to take away from here, but I literally felt at home there. I, I've only met the people once or twice. Our daughter and son-in-law attend. They're too, they don't drive up there because of the distance, so they attend a different fellowship. So it's not like we had a connection there, just with Jeremy and Grace. But it, it, and you've experienced this yourself. You've experienced it in a small group setting or different areas or different aspects where you, you come together and you're like, you're, just, you're knit together. And, and that's what I believe is so important is we, is we realize we want to grow we need to make some choices. We need to do some life evaluations. We need to have hard conversations with ourselves before the Lord. And, and, and then we're going to see this world we live in. It, it's time to make some changes. Let's finish out just simply with chapter 13, verse 11. Chapter 12 is another assignment. I'll just give it to you as a, an enjoyable exercise. It's one of the, cha- the Proverbs chapters of the New Testament. It's got a lot of little quips, little one-liners, one-verse parts that encourage you, you know, to do things. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Isn't that cool? Just those little practical applications of how to live out this instruction we've been looking at. But let's look over here and conclude chapter 12 and then chapter 13. He puts on and presents to us something, just an exhortation as well. And do this, knowing the time, that now it's high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness And let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Let's glance at that very quickly. Verse 11, it says that we are now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed it's nearer in date, chronologically agreed, right? If a few days pass, you're closer. But it's also nearer in desire. So it's nearer in date and desire. Desire, as you grow in something, you long for something. How many of you have ate a really good chocolate chip cookie and said, that's all, I don't want to eat anymore? You have a, a, a nutritional fear or you know, a, a, a fear of eating too much bad food, perhaps, but it won't override that desire for one more ain't going to hurt because it's something good. So now as we're, we're aware of salvation, we're aware of the times that we live in, the time is now to, to you know, it's, it's nearer in date and desire, which would be, the, you could say it this way, it's nearer in um, proximity and priority. 
It's closer in time and more and more important to me. My, my walk with the Lord's more important now than it was a month ago. More important than it was a year ago. More important than it was five years ago. There are seasons that didn't seem like it, but those seasons have verified that I, I need the Lord. I need more of him and less of me. So it's also could be said it's nearer in length and longing. All those are conveying the same basic principle between the two. It's, it's nearer, our salvation, our, day, our, our seeing him face to face is nearer. We were in darkness, we're now light. We see there in verse 12, you were this other person. But that's not you. As someone once said, I, you know, you don't understand, Pastor Dan, I'm, I'm, I'm Irish. I'm red-headed Irish. And, and that's why I have this temper. That's why I have these expressions of anger. And I said, you know, you, you're right. You were. That's who you used to be. It's still who you seem to be. But it's not who you're called to be. Because we're called to be conformed into his image and likeness. Now, some have a more moderate temperament. Some get mad easy. So some who get mad easy got more to work on. The other person, it may come easy, but that other person has other issues that don't come so easy. So don't ever give yourself a pass. It's one of the problems we face. Well, the Lord knows my heart. He knows I'm trying. Yeah, he knows you're trying to be you better. You're not trying to be more like him because that means more surrender. Cast off, we see there in, uh, I believe it's verse 12. Let us cast off the old nature. When we were walking in darkness, which means we weren't enlightened, which means we hadn't, we really literally, the Bible tells us in other places that when we're born again, his light is within us. We are now light in the Lord. We're the light of the Lord and we're the light in the world. And so it wasn't there, but now it is. So we are now light. Let it shine. Cast off. Put those things away that block it out and cover it up. Let us put on. Notice what it says. The armor of light. What is armor? It, it speaks of protection. It speaks of defense. The armor of light. You shall know the truth, and the truth does what? Sets you free. So we know the truth, and then we realize that's our defense. It sets us free from these things that enshackle or entangle us. Let us walk properly. Literally, it speaks of honestly. Let's just be honest with ourselves. When, when I can learn day by day, moment by moment, minute by minute, if need be, I can learn to be honest with myself, I will learn to be honest with the Lord. If I'm not honest with myself, I'll lie to the Lord. Lord, you know what I'm trying no, you're not. <laughs> you're trying to be you more. But do you see what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's not an easy thing. It's really easy for me to present that principle. And it's really simple principle. It's just really difficult to practice. Because it requires us being still and knowing that he is God. Just calming ourselves and saying, you know what, God, I don't even understand. I don't even trust me. The, the Psalms t teach us, search me and see if there's any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. That's not a psalmist who thinks he's got it all figured out. Like, God, I don't even trust me. Search me. If there's something in there that's got to be taken care of, you know the best time to deal with it. You know the right way to handle it. Lead me in your way, in the way everlasting. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh 
to fulfill its lust. Make no provision, no compensation, no exception, no exemption. Well, it's, you can say that, Dan, but you don't know what I went through in that relationship. You can say that, Dan, but I went through such financial hardship, that's why I keep more money for myself. You can, you know, all, you just fill in the blanks. But do you see what he's saying? Don't tell God that he can't handle this part of your life. You would never have the audacity to verbalize that. But we may have the foolishness to practice it. Does that make sense? I would never say it. God, I can't trust you in that area. I may find some way to do things my way and not even realize I've been duped. I've been deceived. I'm actually crafty and practicing something because I'm not even doing what he says. I'm finding a way to make provision, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not, uh, it, it speaks of outward, but it, you know, obviously we've already seen this, it begins inward. But what it's speaking of putting on, uh, we obviously understand that's not pretension like you put, oh, you gotta be putting me on. You know, it, it speaks of an outward presentation. What would you, when you put on something, you're thinking about your outward expression, your adornment. You're thinking about how you live your life and what people see. And so we sadly can, can emulate something with an external effort with no internal change. But when there's internal change, there will be an external expression that is parallel. And so he's saying, when you're not making a provision for the flesh, you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I want his light to shine in me and shine through me that I, I make no provision for the flesh. For what reason? To fulfill its unhealthy appetite. To fulfill that deep desire for more than I need. And, not, and you never quit, because you don't go, well, that's enough. The more you have, the more you want, and we have to get into all that. Let's pray. God, what an amazing thing to look at your word tonight and, and take a gander, a, gl- a closer look. And I just thank you, God, that you walk us through because you desire what's best for us. You teach us your word because you want to free us from defiance, from stubbornness, from pride, from anything that can creep in and mask itself and disguise itself so we don't even notice what it is. And so as we continue through this week and however much time we have until we see you face to face, I just pray, I ask, Lord, you've given us this desire. You've planted it within us. Teach us your word. Teach us how to serve. Teach us how to love. Show us how to live out this life together, to to learn to live life together in a way that glorifies you and honors you. And so we just commit the rest of this night, this week to you, and thank you for what you'll do in your name. Amen. Amen.